Well, welcome this morning again. Um, if you have a Bible, um, we're going to be in Philippians 1, verse 12 through 26 this morning. That's again, Philippians 1, 12 through 26. Um, it'll also be on the screens. There's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. Now, before I get going, a little family moment today. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, we had a straight up celebration party for Mike McCartney's homegoing to be with Jesus. Now, I... I I leaned over to James Talbert in the middle of the beginning. Worship said, if you weren't there, just a little bit of flavor of yesterday. And I said, I want to go to this church. Uh, It was, um, just so you know, if something happens to me, just do what they did yesterday. Because it was amazing. It really was an incredible celebration of Pastor Mike's uh, life and his legacy. And I know for us as a church... It's still kind of hard. It, I woke up this morning thinking this. It's, it's just really hard to wrap my mind around our Pastor Mike not being with us anymore. But it is a wonderful thing to know and have confidence that he is in the very presence of our Savior, Jesus. And so I want to pray for um, Betty and the family and for us as a church um, again this morning, if I could, um, before we get going. Father, Lord, we thank you so much for yesterday and the celebration that was um, so honoring, I believe, Lord, to you and um, really honoring to our friend and our pastor, Mike. Lord, we, we thank you for the hope of heaven. We thank you that the grave has no grip on us because it did not have a grip on you, Jesus. We thank you for the hope of resurrection. We thank you that there is not a second death. But Jesus said, in you, we can enter into your very presence and be free from all the struggle forever as we pass from this life. And so Lord, we thank you for Pastor Mike. We thank you for Betty and her whole family. Lord, we pray for your comfort to surround them. Lord, we believe you are the God of comfort. We believe that only you can do that for them. And Lord, for us, we pray for your comfort. We pray for your help in this season as we mourn, as we hurt, um, and as the greater realities of heaven, Lord, are developed in us through passings like this. So Jesus, we love you and uh, we thank you for our hope in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning... um, we are, we are going through the book of Philippians, and uh, anybody get one of these journals out there? Raise them up if you got one. Um, if you have one, if you don't have them, they're out there. Um, <clears throat> these are uh, scripture journals, and so how they work is there's scripture on this side, and then you can write notes on this side. Um, if you can tell, I did my notes, so I got it, show my work. And so, um, uh, <clears throat> and so if, if you, if you want to get one, they're still in the lobby, you can pick one up um, <clears throat> for just pick one up. Uh, so you guys have all covered each other. So if you don't have one, want one, pick them up. They're a great thing to have. One, somebody told me this, that they want to do is they want to put, their, they're going to put the preaching notes in the back and they're going to write notes inside of it. And they hope that one day one of their kids can have this and just see how valuable the word of God is. So it's like a legacy thing to them, which is super cool. So um, whatever you want to do, right? But um, grab one of those if you can. So this morning, before we get into the text, um, th- there's something maybe to talk about, kind of front matter. Um, you know, the book of Philippians is a little hard to wrap our minds around if we really think about the context of Paul, the context of those who he's writing to, and our context. 
Um, So Paul is in prison telling the Philippians, hey, by the way, do exactly what I'm doing. And what's going to happen is you might go to prison. You might get beaten up. You might lose your job. You might not have the peace that this world or everyone around you says. But hey, go for it, right? It's one of those letters that if you really kind of just picked it apart and said, like, it's, it's a pretty hard ask, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty hard ask to ask such challenging things to a group of people. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but each of us in this room has a worldview. Worldview is a lens in which we see the world through. It's like, it's the way we interpret things. It, it, it creates our being, our knowing, our doing, our, our worldview does. It's this, this lens in which we see the world kind of shapes and forms us. And so what sometimes is hard about a letter like the book of Philippians is it just doesn't fit our worldview very well. And so, example like this. So the American worldview, and this isn't everybody in this room, but maybe some of us, it, it works a little bit something like this. You're supposed to, right, um, you, you're, <clears throat> this is what we want for our kids. So they, they, you go to school and you get really good grades. And like, you got to get good grades. Do your homework. Get good grades. Get good grades. Get good grades. And we tell them that. I tell my kids that. Get good grades. You got to get good grades. And so they get good grades. And, and so what, and we hope they play some sports because we're hoping that there's great athleticism in them so they can go be a professional athlete and they can make us money and we don't have to work anymore, which is always the end goal of the American dream is no, not working. And so, and so what happens is they go to school and they, they get done with high school and we're hoping their grades are good enough and they can get into good school and get some scholarships because we didn't put quite enough away to help them out but if we did really good we put enough to away to put them through college and they're going to go through college and they're going to be really nice and they're going to learn really nice things in college really good things to help them professionally and they're going to meet a really nice girl or a boy and then they're going to get married the day after they graduate from college I did um, literally the day after I graduated from college I got married and uh, they, they're going to graduate from college and then what do we want get a really good job, right, that pays really good money, and they're going to get a really good job that pays really good money, and they're going to have a really nice wife, and then they're going to get a really nice house, and then that really nice house is going to have a really nice white picket fence around it, and if they've done well enough, maybe some other things that are really nice around their house, so that when we come over, we can enjoy their really nice things, and then what's going to happen is their their kids are going to, right, they're going to, their kids are going to be raised and they're going to go off and they're going to kind of follow this and then if we make enough money then maybe by 55 if we're lucky or 65 we'll retire to where we can begin to do the things that we've never done that we really wanted to do but when we had time in retirement we're going to do them and then when we retire we get super busy because retired people are the busiest people I know and so and then this is kind of like the American dream right it's this really nice life chasing these really nice things And so what's hard for us to compute a book like Philippians is it saying a really nice life might not be your life. See, the American dream doesn't really compute well with this whole like lose your life to gain your life teaching of Jesus. To give up so that others might have. To live sacrificially to, to give completely wholly of ourselves. Paul will say it like this in this text we're about to read. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, a worldview, right? The lens in which we see the world through. The reality of life 
the beliefs that shape our knowing, being, doing, and thinking. So how this worked out for me. So I became a Christian right um, kind of halfway through college. And the first five years of my Christian life were fairly bland because there was only one verse that God seemed to use in my life. I would go into his word, and then all of a sudden, John 15, 5 would kind of be where I ended back. And at some, one point, I thought, I, I want to be more than a one-verse Christian because other Christians seem really awesome, and I'm just sort of like stuck in John 15, 5. But it was a verse that was forming, and I believe shaping my worldview. And from it, there was kind of all these kind of threads that led to other places in Scripture. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me. And I in him, he will, he will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. And so I think about this verse, right? I am the vine. Okay, I know that means like Jesus is the source, but it means more than that. It just can't mean this just like simple little thing. Like I am the vine, Jesus is everything, and you are the branches that, that, that apart from Jesus, right? I, I have no sustenance, I have no life, I have nothing, I, I, can't, I can't do anything. And I began to move forward. Okay, so I am the vine, you are the branches. Who abides in me, abide in him. Second Corinthians 3.18 says that if I rest, remain, seek, look at Jesus, what happens is I am being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so I need to look at Jesus. Jesus, and I need to abide in him, and I need to set all of my life on him, and then I'll be shaped and formed like him, because again, apart from him, I can't do anything, but, but in him, I'll bear much fruit. Well, what is fruit? And fruit is, right, Galatians 5, it says that the fruits of the flesh are anger, rivalry, malice, all these bad things, and the fruits of the flesh, or the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so if I rest in Jesus and abide in him, if I look at him, then I'm going to become like him, and I'm going to exude out of my life love, joy, right? with me I'm losing my breath here but my worldview is being shaped that I needed Jesus for everything in my life I remember preaching to a group of college students one night and it was about I've, I've probably been a Christian like five years and I, I always I was was like enamored by these preachers that would get up and they would say Tonight, I was planning on preaching from this place in the Bible, but the Lord has led me to somewhere else, and I'm going to be preaching this. And as a young preacher, I'd be sitting on the floor going, how do they do that? I worked so hard for this one message. I got nothing else. <laughs> right? But it happened. I was sitting in a room, and I was sitting out front, and it was like the Lord said to me, teach them what I have taught you. So I got up. And I preached a sermon on John 15, 5, and 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And I went to Galatians 5, and then I went to, I went to Titus 2, 11 through 15. And these were verses that shaped my worldview, how I saw the world, how I saw Jesus. And in that time, as God was doing that, I was traveling to places like Romania. And I saw pastors who were literally having knives placed to their throats saying, stop preaching this message or we will kill you. And I began to realize that in my own life, a book like Philippians didn't compute well to sort of the nice Christianity I had aspired to in my life. And so I, I say all that this morning to hopefully help us reconcile how do we fit such such a challenging book of the Bible to our faith, to our own lives. See, I believe 
with all that I am, that one of the baseline commitments that we have to make about our worldview is simply this. God, let your word shape how I see the world. Simple. God, let your word shape how I see the world. Help your word like shape how I see you and nothing else. And I, I believe many of us, what we try to do with God's word is we, we try to conform God's word to our worldview. And we're going at it completely wrong if we do that. And what happens is lots of heresy and lots of misgivings possibly missing the most important thing, Jesus himself. And so, again, worldview, I believe, best way we can do it is saying, God, help me to be shaped by your word. Conform me to your word. So, that being said, if you will, stand with me in honor and reverence of God's word. This morning, let's read Philippians 1. 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that your prayers, that that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain." If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Father, would you speak to us through your word today as you have? Lord, would you shape us, conform us to your very own image or shape how we see reality through the truth, the reality of your word? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone. And so, Lord, teach us today from it, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this section of Scripture, let's just kind of do a 
little flyover. Um, and so what Paul is basically saying in this text is he's saying, hey, I, I'm in prison, and I believe that, that because of my imprisonment, I, it has served to advance the gospel. And I believe it served to advance the gospel in two ways. It says it served to advance the gospel with, with, with the imperial garden, so basically like all of the, this was like the top down. Um, this has served to advance because every time I get put in prison, um, I just keep proclaiming Jesus, and they can't quite figure this out. We'll get into that in a minute. And then he says, but also that it is strengthening the brotherhood, that the, the, the people of faith, some of them are preaching with boldness and fear, but there are some that are out there that are opposing me, and they're imposing the ministry. They're proclaiming Christ, but they're rejecting my place in the church and my responsibility that God has given me. And they're doing like their ministry out of pretense, but you keep doing it in truth. And then he's going to move on. He's saying, I'm conflicted because this is super hard. He didn't say it like that. That's my words. This is super hard. At this point, Paul has probably been beaten multiple times, like 39 times, like 40 less one, like 39 lashes. He's been shipwrecked. I mean, he, Paul has suffered some some serious pain. Even when he was in Philippi for the first time, like last week we said this, he got the snot beat out of him. That's what I say when you get beat up really bad. Like Paul got beat up really, really bad. He says, I'm hard pressed. This is hard. And he's gonna make the statement for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But I believe that I'm not done yet. I believe that God's going to deliver me from this. I, I believe he still has work for me to do in this world. But if I'm going to keep on living, I'm going to live for Jesus and nothing else. And in this and this alone, I will rejoice. So three things maybe to pull out of this text today for us. First, Paul is calling the Philippians, and I believe he's calling up, God is calling us today to this, to live to advance the gospel. We see it in 12 through 14. 12 through 14, um, live to advance the gospel. So he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so in this, he's saying that, that my imprisonment, my struggle, my trial is good. It's good because there's an end to my good. There's something that's happening out of my life. There's something good happening from my sacrificial living. So again, it's become known throughout the whole imperial garden to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Can you imagine the, the conversations the imperial guard were having? And they were probably in some back room going, why won't that dude shut up? Like he keeps proclaiming Jesus and if he would just shut his mouth, he wouldn't have to go through this. They're gonna beat him again for it. And it became perplexing to this, the, the whole guard of why does this guy do it? But Paul just says, like, dude, I don't care. Like, they keep rotating people through, and I got a captive audience. I just keep proclaiming Jesus to them over and over and over and over again. They're perplexed. The whole imperial guard is going, there's this crazy man in jail. And he really believes this stuff. Like, really, really believes this stuff. He won't recant. He won't stop doing this. So... Again, right? And so he says, my imprisonment is for Christ. Right? This was his motive. And most of the brothers, having become, notice that word most, it's important. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, what we see, kind of this living to advance the gospel. He says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. In the guard, believer's boldness, there's, there, there's, there's, 
there's a fact, there's, there's purpose, there's something that's coming out of my suffering. And then he, he makes a statement at the end. They're much more bold to speak the word. And what's interesting is I, th- I feel like he could have put a period there. Right? Why did he have to keep on writing? Because doesn't boldness just indicate fearlessness? But he doesn't put a period there. He keeps writing. And the end of that, he says, they're more bold to speak the word without fear. They were fearlessly engaging in the work of the kingdom. See, I believe that the Apostle Paul and many of these, right, that believed, they were awakened to the reality of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God reigned and ruled in their hearts today. And if they woke up on earth, they were going to wake up serving Jesus in his kingdom. And if they woke up in heaven, they were going to wake up serving Jesus and his kingdom. That their present reality was the reign and rule of God. And whether they were here or there, they were serving him. See, the the redemptive nature of all things working together for his good, we see in this text. Paul writes it in Romans 8, 28, often misused text. But what Paul is saying in this is that there's this redemptive nature of all things working together for his good. And if you are working and serving Jesus, he is working out whatever sacrifice you're bringing to the table for his good. I believe that is true. And I think we know that. Like, have you ever done something and in the middle of it, maybe you're just thinking, I have no idea how this is going to turn out good at all. And then you get three, four, five years down the road and you look back and you go, oh, I see what God was doing through this trial and struggle. But in the midst of it, it's really, really hard to see. I believe that Paul had some really keen kingdom insight and even being able to pin how he saw the very good in the moment of his trial and struggle. Oftentimes, we don't see it. And so, here's the principle in this. God is working together all things for the good. And even if you can't see it, if you believe it, if you're, if, if you, if you're serving him, and you're doing this for him, you can believe that there's an end, there's good that's going to come out of this. But if you're not working for him, if you don't believe, it's working for no end. See, pain and suffering are realities in this world. Raise your hand if you've ever had any suffering in your life. Right, that's crazy, 100%. So, um, it's going to happen. Pain, trial, struggle, it's coming. Whether you like it or not, bad news on a Sunday morning, it's coming. You can either suffer for an end that is good for the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, or you can suffer to no end. And when you die, then suffer forever. But if you suffer for him on earth, I believe Mike McCartney is in heaven today, wishing he would have suffered more. Went after it harder. Taken more criticism. Taken more people that weren't happy with this or that from his ministry or life. And he had a lot of people that were obviously the room was full. But if you serve Jesus, it isn't all going to be roses. Everybody's not going to like you. Life isn't going to be all nice and put together. Say it again. If you're doing this for him, it'll work out to good. I believe that to be true. But if you're not, if you don't believe, it's working to no end. 
And you are suffering now. And when you die, you will suffer forever. So the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, what is your story? Is it serving to advance the work of the kingdom of God, the gospel? Like, do you rejoice in that? Or is it just suffering now? To no end of any good whatsoever. I believe, and I'm going to drop a truth on you today. Uh, I hope it is helpful. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? Anybody ever wondered that? You ever spend any money trying to figure that out? I'm going to write a book, make some money on that someday. Everybody buys that book, right? Um, I'm going to tell you what the will of God is for your life today. Here you go. This is free. You can leave offerings in the back if it's helpful. Your purpose is to use every good bit of who God made you to be to move the line of the gospel forward in your generation. Your purpose is to use every good bit of who you are, who God made you to be, to move the line of the gospel forward in your generation. Simple. If you go after that, you're going to honor God with your life. Second thing that we see in the text, he calls us to proclaim the gospel from goodwill. Now this is a, this is a bit of a, an interesting text because sometimes we use this text um, and I believe we misuse it. And so we, we misuse it to, to kind of say every TV preacher that's out there, like let's just rejoice, the gospel's going out. I don't believe that's true. And I'll tell you why, because I do think there are heretics I do think there are people that do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus and we shouldn't listen to them because they spew out garbage and they don't proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. Now, here's the challenge of these guys. They give enough truth to make you really feel like they're saying something good. And I believe one of the key things that Satan does is he just twists it enough that it looks a little bit different but it looks the same. And so you can't quite tell the difference. And so example, and I believe speaking specifically to our day, the prosperity gospel is the biggest load of crap. And when you read a book of like Philippians, like I guess Paul didn't have enough faith, right? He didn't have enough faith to trust God to believe for a life of prosperity and wealth. You know, the prosperity gospel would say that Paul really ended up in chains because he just didn't quite believe and claim enough from God, which isn't true. And I've sat with countless families in hospitals where family members who have listened to the prosperity stuff will say ridiculous things like, if you just had more faith, your husband would be alive today. You just got to believe. Don't believe the lie that he's going to die. That's garbage. Just so you know, 100 out of 100 people die. Bad news on a Sunday morning again. I think that's just pretty blanket truth. We know this to be true, right? This is is the truth of life. And so the prosperity gospel, what it does is it says that if you believe in Jesus, Jesus came and died so that you can have a rich and wonderful life. You can have mansions and houses and planes and all kinds. There's a prosperity gospel. One time he claimed to God to give him an airplane, right? It's craziness and garbage. 
And this area, we've had plenty of it, and I won't name names, but he has a big airplane that came back an airport, right? Like, it's, it's all over our region. And it's not the truth of the gospel, because the gospel, what it says is that you will have a wonderful eternal life with God in heaven. And in this life, you will lose all things to gain all things. In this life, you will give up that others might have. In this life, you take your excess and you give to the, to the ends of the kingdom of God and live by faith, trusting in him for a greater end and greater work. So I'm going to stop my soapbox and we're going to get back into the text. And so this text is not just affirming any message. It, it is not doing that. And so let's look at what's happening. So Paul, is, 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 there's, there's three motives that he speaks of. There's envy, rivalry, and goodwill. Envy, rivalry, goodwill that we see in the text. And so the three motives of the proclamation of Christ, like some, right, or so he says this before, like some by my imprisonment, like they're emboldened, they, they're fearlessly doing this, but many, um, so, so, so there's others, and uh, so it says, Um, sorry, many, right, I mix those up, many have been confident, but some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter, right, the envy and rivalry, so what are these things? Envy and rivalry. Envy is jealousy, wanting what others have, maybe not just wanting what others have, wanting what others are, right, wanting position, wanting something that is not yours to be exalted and lifted up. Rivalry in opposition to or competing directly with. So who were these guys? Who were these ladies? They were antagonists toward Paul, simply. They were a direct opposition to him and his ministry. Right? Paul will say here in, the, in this text, he'll say that I was put here, right, verse 16, latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. See, those who did it out of envy and rivalry, they, they discredited Paul and say that he has not been appointed. He has not been put in this place. We ought to be put in his place. We ought to be put in a, um, uh, we, we are apostolic leaders. And so they wanted, they wanted the recognition. They wanted the place that only Paul had been appointed. And so they were in direct opposition to him and his ministry, us against you. They wanted position, notoriety, attention. And he also says about them that the former, right, these, they did it out of selfish ambition. Personal gain was their motive. Pretense, appearances sake, was why they did what they did for Jesus. But Paul says, but do it out of goodwill, right? And so he's going to lift up, he's going to exalt this motive. He's going to say goodwill is the right reason to do this. And so what is goodwill? Goodwill is simply a heart that desires Jesus to be known, no agenda for self, only agenda for the Savior. That because I have been redeemed, because I have been saved, because I have been rescued, because of who Jesus is, I just want him to be known. If I am never known, I'm good. If God appoints people over me, I will submit, I'm good. I just want God and his gospel, I want it to be known, I want it to be out there, and I'm doing it out of love knowing that I was put here for the defense of the gospel, keeping the main things the main things. So he says, whether in pretense or truth, so whether they do it either way, I'm going to rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel. A willful choice to rejoice. This is important. He he made a willful choice to rejoice and not be consumed. See, when opponents come after us, we can be consumed by them. Have you ever had someone that didn't like you and it troubled you? Anybody? 
I figured you did. And so, uh, <laughs> no, no, we, we've all had that, right? We've, had all, we've all had people that oppose us. And have you ever been consumed by it? Laying in bed thinking, why do they do this? Why do they think this about me? Paul, Paul says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm, I'm in direct opposition. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. I'm going to keep my eyes where they need to be on Jesus. And he made a willful choice to rejoice. And then he says again, right, if something is repeated in the word of God, we need to listen up. Right? He says, I will rejoice. And again, I will rejoice. I will not let those who oppose me hold me down. So he wasn't consumed by the neurotic notions that could swell his head when he was opposed. He chose faith. And he chose believing in God in the direction that God had sent him. So there, there's kind of three things that we see. That, that I believe this is why Paul can affirm the, the gospel going forward with him. Is there's, there's three things, and the author on this text, he, he wrote these. I thought they were, they were great. Message, method, and motive. Their message was Jesus. So Paul affirmed that. He said that you're, you're proclaiming Christ, right? I'm, I'm for that, 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 that Christ is the center. And so I believe he was affirming that they were, they were proclaiming the crucified Savior, and the reason we know that is because Paul doesn't affirm everyone. Oh, you, and I said this last week, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you have turned to another gospel. If they had turned to a different gospel, Paul would not have affirmed their teaching. So the message that they were saying of how to come to Christ was true. And so and then the, the second, their, their method, right, they, they were proclaiming. They were going out and actually giving witness and teaching and preaching Jesus as Savior. But what he put into question in the text was their motive, See, our, our motives matter. A simple story maybe to illustrate this. Years ago when I first started, we had this uh, small college ministry, and um, we were always having a hard time. I had, like, I, had a, I had $50 to pay someone every week to lead worship for us, and literally they had to give like six hours to do it, and so it was really bad pay, and couldn't get anyone to do it, and so who would do it? Some poor college student that could play guitar, because if you can play guitar, you should be a worship leader, right? And so... Uh, and so um, we had this guy that had done it for a long time, and he was really just an incredible worship leader, and he left. And so we were struggling, and there was a kid who could play guitar, and so he comes up, and he plays for a few weeks. And a college student comes to me and said, hey, I heard um, this guy say this, and it just really bothered me. He said, he said to me the other day that, that in, in a year, no one will ever remember Jason existed because I'm going to be that good of a worship leader. And so I heard that, and I was like, oh, that's really bad. That's not good. He's got a really bad motive for leading. So I printed out every verse in Scripture, which is the beauty of the Internet, um, on pride and vanity. And I printed it out, and I had a meeting with him, and I handed it to him. And I said, if you could read over these verses in the next week, and then I'd like to sit down with you and to talk about your vanity because someone told me that you said this, and this isn't good. So he's a really great dude, and life's really good now, right? But there's a, like, did you not cringe a little bit when, I, when he said that, right? There's the motive, it matters. Our motives are really elusive. And I believe that there's a check inside of this text of saying, what is our motive? I believe what Paul is saying to the men, women, that had the improper motives is he was simply saying, God will deal with you. I will deal with me. And here's the thing. God will deal with us on our motives because they matter more than anything else. Our motives matter. If you get motive wrong, 
you get everything wrong. Third, last thing that we see in the text, verses 19 through 26, kind of a a large section where Paul is sort of contemplating in his writing. In this section, Paul is making a simple statement to resolve to live for Christ to resolve to live for Christ. And so resolve, right, this, this strong stance, this immovable, this is where I'm headed no matter what. So Paul, what he, what he says is, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So he, he, he believes, and what we're going to see in this is he, he believes that this is going to turn out for his deliverance. He, he believes that he's going to get out of his chains. He's going to be able to meet them and see them again. And, and he says that there's two things that help me have confidence in, in this. He says that, that your prayers, and so just so we're clear, side note, prayer really matters. And it, it does change things. There's not a such thing as just praying, but prayer is a central, central ministry to everything that we do as a church. Your prayers, right? That God hears us. I believe this is going to play into my deliverance. And he says, most importantly, the spirit of Jesus Christ, his indwelling strength, the reality that my savior is not dead. He is alive and he is a present reality in my life and in my struggle. This is not just a first century Christianity thing. This is a, this is a today thing that the spirit of Jesus Christ, he will indwell us and he will empower us to do all the work that he has called us to. So Paul's eager expectation was simply that Christ would be honored in his life. Right? And so he says that, that by my life, I will live and proclaim Jesus no matter what. And by my death, if I die, praise God, because I will see Jesus face to face. So his resolve and his conviction in this was that, and he's kind of walking through, he's saying things like, I'm hard part to, my desire is to depart to be with Christ, but it's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so what what Paul is saying is this isn't about me anymore. This is about Jesus. This is about his kingdom. This is about his gospel. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, he'd come to resolve and conviction saying that all I have in this life is for Jesus and Jesus alone. See, but these kind of texts, they just feel really uncomfortable to us. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So years ago when I was doing student ministry and college ministry, we had lots of students. And one of our goals was that we would send every college student on a mission trip or short-term missions experience Right, at some point in time in their college, and we did it. Like we had one summer, we had forty-five students in all kinds of different places in the world. But out of that came this question that I had to answer that I hadn't answered yet in my life. Came along a girl named Kelsey, and Kelsey felt called to go to the Sudan. Now, Sudan is one of the most dangerous places for a Christian to be, and especially at that time, it was excessively dangerous to go there. And I had to resolve in my heart if I would send Mr. and Mrs. Hendricks' daughter to the Sudan to possibly die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I resolved that I was willing to send their daughter, and by the way, I'm willing to send your daughters, my, your sons, and my daughters 
to the uttermost parts of this world if God so calls them. But see, there was a thing that I realized in that season as students were being called to these things. See, the greatest hindrance to the gospel was parents and grandparents. They would do everything they could to talk their kids out of sacrificing all they had for the sake of Jesus, which showed an incredible flaw in our worldview. That the Bible hadn't shaped us, but the dream of a nice house, grandbabies, was more important than Philippians 1, 12 through 26. When we resolve to live for Christ, we make decisions saying that it is all for him and nothing else. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that everybody's kid in this room is going to go to Sudan and die for Jesus. I I, I don't think that's a reality, probably practically today. But but are, are you willing to say that I will, if God so asks, let loose of my most precious possessions, people, for the, cause of, for, for the cause of the one who is most precious to me, Jesus. A few years after that, I found myself in China. I was uh, with a missionary, and we, we kind of traveled in the city, and we went to the places where they don't allow foreigners, and we were prayer walking through a village in a community. And as we were prayer walking through the village and the community, um, all of a sudden the head government official in that town said, hey, um, we heard there's some foreigners in town. We'd love for you to come over to our house and share a meal with us. So praise God. We've been praying for inroads into the community as we were walking through. So we go to their house and we're sitting around. Now at this time, I know that China, this is like a sort of dangerous place. Government officials kind of can lock you up forever and you can never see people again. And maybe I'd trump that up in my head a little bit more. And so I began to like think about the cost of what it was we're doing. And so we're moving, we're doing, we're, we're eating. I'm eating way too much food because I grew up on a farm and I do believe that eating lots of someone's food means that you love them, right? And so I'm doing this thing like eating food that I didn't know what it was and it was super hot and it was not, anyway. And so I'm eating all this, eating, and then Roberto, the missionary, looked at me and he says, Ryan, God told me that you're supposed to share the gospel with them um, right now. I was like, okay, like, okay, let's do this. I'm never going to see my wife and kids again. Like, and, and I, I legitimately knew that there was going to be, there was like a cost to this. That, that, that it wasn't just like talking to somebody at Acme, right? I mean, there, there was legitimate cost to this. So we did it. <laughs> Shared the gospel with the general, his family, and all the people in the room. We finished, and I was, honestly, as I got going, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. This is like the Apostle Paul. His whole house is going to get saved. It's going to cause revival. All of China is going to be reached in this moment. Like, I just felt this super excited. And I got done, and he goes, it's evident that Jesus, who you speak of, has done a great work in your heart and your life. And I can tell it's very emotional to you and very special to you. But for me, I just don't believe those things. And that was it. <laughs> it was very anticlimactic. And I didn't go to jail. So, um, but, but there's these moments in life of, of not just theoretical, 
And I, I think this is like maybe what separates, like, as we say, the men from the boys. <laughs> when does your faith stop being theoretical? Would you? And when do you? I can't answer that for you. All that I know is that in my experiences, I have had God directly push me into arenas where I had to make that decision for myself. And I hope if, again, I was pushing that, I would do the same. But that is dependent, I believe, today on my walk with Jesus my willingness to stay consistently surrendered, resolving to live for him above all things. So to conclude, three applications. We're going to be done quick. Three applications. First, I believe this text calls us to make this commitment. I commit to advance the gospel with my life. I commit to advance the gospel with my life. Whatever I do, whoever I'm with, might others benefit in Jesus by my presence. Might the movement of the gospel go forward with my life? I just looked at Peggy. So Peggy told me a story. I'm going to share this. I don't care if you don't care, Peggy. Uh, so uh, one time she was working with iTunes. Did you know that they actually have a phone line that you can call? Most people wouldn't know that. Peggy does. And she called them. She was working with them for days trying to get her stuff situated. And she just shared the gospel like with every person that worked at Apple like for two days straight, right? That's a true story. If I'm on the phone, like the, she's like Paul. Like, that is like prison, I think. <laughs> you know, the phone with apples, so, right? And I commit to advance the gospel with my life. Wherever I find myself, whatever I do, I have an opportunity in front of me to exalt my king. Second, I commit to check my motives. I commit to check my motives. What is the reason that you do what you do for Jesus? Only you can answer that. And I believe this scripture calls us to just simply check up. And that's going to cause some meditation, some thoughtfulness on our part of why is it I do what I do for him. Third, simple, I commit to live for Christ. Paul said it, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Daniel 3, 16 through 18 pull it up on my phone. <clears throat> Reads, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, right, they're going to ask them to kind of turn to their gods, and if they don't, there's going to be great cost. Turn to the Babylonian way. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. We live with a great history as Christians of men and women who take the risk of trusting in and following our God. And those three boys simply said that we will trust our God to take us through the fiery furnace. And I believe that God showed up in the fiery furnace in the person of Jesus Christ himself. 
and he took them through the fire. Our God can be trusted. Following Jesus is worth the risk. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to be men and women, children who believe, Jesus, that your ministry, that that your gospel, that your kingdom is worth all the risk in life. Jesus, help us. Help us see clearly, Lord, the direction of our lives. Help us to turn to where all that we are and all that we have is being used to advance the good news of what you have done, Jesus. Or check our motives. Help us to resolve to live for you above all things. So Lord, the the person who came into this room distant from you and the the person that came in really close, wherever we find ourselves today, help us, Lord, to take our next steps forward in giving and surrendering all that we have for you, your glory, and your kingdom. We believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. We believe that your kingdom is a present reality for those of us who have believed. So help us live in truth and reality of your kingdom and help us come to places in our life where we can say, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Jesus, shape us by your word and help us, Jesus, to give all that we have to fulfill your mission in this world. So Father, for the person who doesn't know you, give them the strength today to repent of their sins and turn in faith to you and be saved. And for the person who knows you and loves you, Lord, give them the strength by your power, Lord, shape them. Shape us all increasingly by your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.